It is so good to be so close to uh, gathering together again. I am definitely excited about that. Looking forward to this room being full of even more people. And so uh, as we just get ready for that, I just uh, want to ask you to be praying for us. And, um, you know, just that we'll get all those details organized well. And we are just so excited that uh, we will be joining together. I want to encourage you, find the, th find the sheet and sign up. And what we're going to do is we're going to be arranging things. And for now, we're going to start small. But if this room fulls up and we need more space, we'll go to another service. And we'll just, uh, we'll, 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 we'll make room for people eventually. And so uh, we are just so very thankful that we are finally hitting this time where we can, uh, you know, gather together again. All right. We have had a little bit of technical difficulties today, but it looks like uh, we've got them worked out. We are thankful for that. You know, um, we're going to be talking this morning about faith and restoration. The fact that when we place our faith in Jesus, the correct object of faith, there is spiritual restoration that happens in our life. You know, when I think about discipleship, um, we've all been called to be disciples. We have all been called to reach the world with the gospel. And reaching the world is calling people to Jesus. But in order for us to call others into a relationship with Jesus, we need to have that relationship ourselves. We need to know Jesus for who he is. And um, we need to actually reflect the character of Christ as we reach out to other others. In other words, we need to be Christ-like. Or another word for that is Christians. We need to be Christians, and that is just people that are like Jesus. In our passage this morning, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 through 34, uh, we're going to go back in and we're going to look at the character of Jesus. Now, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the call to discipleship, Jesus calling Matthew, how he immediately left everything and followed Jesus. And then we went to the end of the chapter and we looked at um, the, the marching orders, really, that Jesus gave his disciples where he encouraged people, his disciples, to look out into the culture. And as Jesus looked out into the crowds and, and he saw that they were helpless, that they were sheep without a shepherd, and he felt compassion for them. And he challenged his disciples, pray that God would send out workers into his harvest. And we know that when we pray for that, we're actually going to become that. As we pray that God would reach people, uh, we will have a heart to reach people. Well, we're going to go back and we're going to look at what happens between the time that Jesus calls Matthew and when he encourages them to look at the crowds and pray for them. We're going to see Jesus's character. We're going to see the fact that Jesus is the only one worthy of hope. And that's what we're going to be considering this morning. You know, Jesus, this is an amazing thing about Jesus. He's filled with compassion. He is filled with a willingness and an ability to help with whatever a, per a person needs. You know, there is, uh, in this passage, we're going to look at Jesus impacting people temporarily, temporal, temporally, their physical life, physical illness and sickness, demon possession affecting their day-to-day -day life, blindness. But we're going to see that actually um, that what happens physically 
points to something so much more significant, something spiritually. You know, God has a big picture plan for your life. And this plan includes the sorrows, the difficulties, and the struggles that we face. But every part of our life, and especially when we're believers, is filled with God's sweet love for you, His care for you, and he, he can bless us in the midst of trials and difficulties. And so this morning, we're going to see that we need to put our faith in a loving Savior who can restore us. You know, uh, um, when we just think about just catching up in Matthew, we've been talking and thinking about some other things. But, but really, there's two things happening here. Uh, we are going to see Jesus' interaction in our life. That is something for us to consider. But the whole book of Matthew is presenting who Jesus really is. And that is actually um, Jesus' healing of people, Jesus casting out demons. The things that Jesus does are not just about the people that he's caring for. It is a testimony about who Jesus is, and that is critically important. Uh, we see in Jesus in the book of Matthew that, that Jesus is proven to be the Messiah. And that's demonstrated by his genealogy, the family that he was born into, his miraculous birth. He was virgin born. The visit from the wise men um, from the east fulfilled prophecy, um, even after he was born, about the children being killed and, and fulfilled prophecy about Jesus fleeing into Egypt and coming out of Egypt. And we see the testimony in Jesus' baptism of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus' righteousness, his, his active righteousness, that, that he does what is right. We see that his ability to resist temptation. We see that Jesus teaches with authority. And then these miraculous powers, Matthew 8 and 9, there's these nine miracles that testify that Jesus is who he said he was. But one of the things that I just love, especially in our passage this morning, is we see that Jesus is the embodiment of God's love for us. He cares about people. He reaches into our lives in those moments where we're struggling, where we're having trials, when we're worried about the future. And Jesus meets us there, and he is powerful in loving and caring for us. You know, the, our passage is going to end, actually, with all this evidence everything, this incredible love of God, and it's going to end with people rejecting Jesus. Man, that is our culture. No matter how great a need people have, uh, no matter how much there's evidence to prove who Jesus is, there are those who harden their heart and they reject Jesus. And I'll, man, that's our culture. And uh, that's the culture that Jesus has sent us into. So this morning, we're going to see three powerful lessons that will provide a life of comfort in the trials that you face. And they will remove, if you understand these three things, they will remove the debilitating fear that sometimes we face as we go through hard times, those things that just shake us to the core. Um, understanding these truths will remove that. And so we're going to, the three things that we're going to see is first that God answers desperation and properly placed faith with spiritual blessing. That's verse 18 through 26. 
The second thing that we're going to see is that the spiritual realm is so much more significant than the physical realm. And we're going to see that faith in Christ is both intellectual and moral. It is about evidence. It is about truth. But it is also a moral choice. You can pile up all the evidence in the world. You, people can see the truth clearly. But if they're morally corrupt, which we know people are, they will reject any amount of evidence. And that's just something for us to consider and think about. You know, um, as we look, uh, we're about to jump into Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. But before we, wanna, we do that, I want to just make the contextual connection between physical healing and spiritual healing. You know, Matthew chapter 9, verse 5, it says, um, this is uh, Jesus uh, healing a, a lame man. And this is the point that he makes there. He, he, he's gonna, he says to this man, your sins are forgiven, and the Pharisees question his right to do that. This is how Jesus responds. For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk? You want to know which one's easier? They're both impossible for anybody except God. And this is what Jesus says. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And we know what happened. He rose, he picked up his bed, and he went home. Matthew chapter 9 this is what happened uh, just two weeks ago in our passage. Matthew invites all these tax gatherers and sinners into his house. And the Pharisees are, why is Jesus hanging out with that crowd of people? And Jesus again makes this connection between the physical and the spiritual. Look what he says in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, all these people that Jesus was loving and welcoming and eating with, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, those people that were despised. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You know, physically, Jesus is our ultimate physician. He holds our physical health in his hands. But what's so much more important, what's so much more significant as, is that Jesus heals our spiritual sickness. He holds our spiritual life in his hands. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. And in verse 18 through 26, we're going to meet two people. Two people in absolutely desperate circumstances. One is a very powerful, respected religious leader. Another is a woman who's been isolated for 12 years. Uh, she's a woman that's not powerful, not important. She's been alone and by herself. And they're on, in some ways, opposite ends of cultural respect. And yet Jesus loves each of them. He treats them each equally with love. And we see that, our, that everybody's need before Christ, it puts us all on the same level. And we're going to see that Jesus is full of compassion. He responds. And we're going to see the power of each of their faith well-placed in Jesus. Let's read this passage. And we're going to see that God answers desperation and properly placed faith 
in spiritual blessing. Let's read this. It says, While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come, lay your hands on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose, and he followed him with his disciples. You know, this first individual, we notice a couple things. He is a ruler. Um, uh, the Bible tells us in the other gospel passages that his name is Jairus, and he is a ruler of the synagogue. He is a religious leader. He is a part of the group of people that reject Jesus. And we see that this man, uh, while the rest of the Pharisees hate Jesus and are rejecting him, and while he's a ruler of the synagogue, he's in that, that category. He's, that's his world. That's who's surrounding him. But he is in desperation. And it's enough for him to cast off everything about his culture, everything about the peer pressure, everything about his relationships and his friendships. He casts it all off and he goes to Jesus. And it's interesting because it says that he kneels before Jesus. That is an expression of humility, an expression of respect. And it really flows out of total desperation. Why was he so desperate? He only had one daughter. And this is also uh, given to us in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. He only had one daughter. She was 12 years old and she was dying it doesn't matter how powerful, how rich he was. He was unable to rescue his daughter. Um, he was just devastated. I just think about what parents are willing to do for their kids. Parents love their kids and, and they treasure their kids. And they will make any sacrifice. They'll do anything. And his heart was just overcome with love for his only daughter. You know, it reminds me of um, just some of the things that Michelle and I did for our kids and just the, the sacrifices that we made, the things that we were willing to do for their well-being. And if one of our kids was dying, we would have gone anywhere. We would have paid any amount of money. We would have done anything to try to save them. And that's what we see this man does. He's come up empty and he goes to Jesus and he asks for help. And this is what's amazing in verse 19. It says, Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Jesus just immediately gets up and goes with him. Now this reminds us of Matthew 8, verse 8, where Jesus, there's another man, that centurion, that Roman centurion that comes to Jesus and says, hey, um, my servant is going to die. Will you save him? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll get up and I'll go with you. But the centurion says, Jesus, you don't even need to come. Just stay here. I understand what it, what it means to be, to have authority. And he, he realizes, Jesus, you don't need to go with me. You can just command and it will be done. And Jesus looks at this um, Roman centurion and he says, I've not seen faith like this in Israel. And one of the things that we see is that this, this Jewish leader he had faith. But Jesus doesn't say to him, your faith isn't good enough. Your faith isn't powerful enough. He has faith. He's desperate. He's asking Jesus for help. And Jesus says, okay. And he just gets up and he goes with him. You know, as he's on his way, um, Jesus is walking to this man's house. We meet another lady and we meet her in verse um, 20. 
And uh, this is another just incredible story. It says, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. And again, you see her faith. She has confidence. She goes and finds Jesus. She presses in. And one of the things that we find out is that Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. People are pushing in on him. And she fights her way through the crowd to touch his garment, knowing that in Jesus there's physical healing. And it's interesting because as soon as that happens, the other Gospels tell us that Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Now, one of the things that this lady realizes is that the moment she touches Jesus, she's healed. And so Jesus just says, okay, who touched me? And his disciples are like, Jesus, what are you talking about? There's a crowd here. People are pressing in on you. Everybody's touching you. What do you mean who touched me? And this woman, she's, she's shrinking back, and, and she, she comes forward, and, and she's embarrassed by that whole situation. And she just says, hey, and she explains her problem. And it's interesting in this, Jesus turns and he looks at her, and he responds with love, with compassion, and he actually emphasizes the point of what is happening. Look at verse 22, Jesus turned. And seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly this woman is made well. You know, it's, it's one of the cool things that you see here is she could have touched Jesus. She could have been healed. And nobody may have seen that. Jesus gives her the privilege of sharing her personal testimony with the crowd with Jesus' disciples. And as you read the account, you could see that this is actually a challenging, uncomfortable thing for her to do. But she says, Jesus, this is what you've done for me. That's one of the things that I think about in our life as believers. God gives us opportunities. He works in our life. He blesses us. And we need to be eager and willing to share that testimony with people, to, to make sure that people understand what Jesus has done for us. So this, this woman, just a few things about her life. Um, she's been living in social isolation for 12 years. If you're a Jew and you have a discharge of blood and you're a lady, you are unclean. And what that means is that nobody can touch any bed that you sleep on, any chair that you sit on. People can't touch you or they become unclean. Think about what, what that means. Like, for example, if somebody right now, if you got COVID-19, if you tested positive, you would have to be isolated until it was demonstrated that you were healed. You couldn't be around anybody. Now think about this. Not only would you be isolated, but anybody who was around you would need to be isolated. That was this woman's life, but it wasn't for two weeks, it wasn't for three weeks, it wasn't for a month. It had been going on in her life for 12 years. Imagine that isolation, that difficulty, the, the being unable to be hugged and touched for 12 years. That's what she's going through. Um, the Bible also tells us in Luke, 
that uh, one of the things that she had done, Luke 8, 43, it just says she had tried everything. She'd gone to every um, physician, every doctor. She had spent all of her money to be healed. You know, one of the things I think about is that um, this was not the first time that she had faith. It's not the first time that, that, she, that, that she had hope that there was something that she had hoped would help her, but everything she trusted had failed. But what we find out here is that trusting Jesus did not fail her. And so she's healed. This is an expression of faith. The story at this point switches back um, to Jairus. And one of the things that we see is that Jesus continues on to Jairus' house. Now, one of the things that we see in, in Mark chapter 5, verse, um, verse 35, um, it says that while he was still speaking, and this is Jesus talking to this woman, somebody runs up to Jairus, and he just says, your daughter's dead. Do not trouble Jesus any further. Why trouble this teacher any further? Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus says to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Now this man's faith, it's, it's so different from the centurion. It's weak in comparison. But Jesus looks at him, he sees his, his faith, um, you know, uh, you know, being weak and being shaken, and Jesus looks him in the eye, and he says, don't fear, only believe. That is so powerful. You know, um, it's never too late for God to help. And, and it's interesting how one of the ways that Jesus blesses this man is to allow him to be in desperate circumstances. And he just says, hey, Trust me. And, um, you know, it's amazing the, the different times in, in the book of Matthew. Um, in, Ma in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, um, where Jesus says, Seek first God's kingdom and trust him to meet your needs. In Matthew 6, 30, um, Jesus just says, If God closes the grass, clothes the grass of the field, which is um, today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into oven, the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Do you ever struggle with just your daily needs, worry about the future? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to have enough money to retire? What's going to happen if I lose my job? People are so worried and Jesus just says, O oh, you of little faith, trust me, seek my kingdom and I will take care of your needs. You know, physical danger, I think about the riots and just some of the things that are happening and people that worry about that. And oh, multiple times, Matthew 8, 26, when the disciples are afraid of their ship sinking, Jesus says, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? When, um, uh, again, in Mark, uh, Matthew 14, 31, when Peter is sinking into the water and Jesus just reaches out his hand and says, why do you fear, O oh, you of little faith? Why did you doubt? Um, Jesus takes care of us, and he's encouraging and challenging us to exercise faith. You know, it's amazing. It is not the strength of the faith that counts. It's who the faith is in. 
Now, Jesus, we see that he responds in powerful compassion to those who trust him. You know, and uh, one of the things that we find out about this story is that um, Jesus brings only Peter, James, and John. So this miracle is specifically witnessed by Peter, James, John, and this girl's parents. Look at verse 23. Jesus shows up, and when Jesus came to the ruler's house, and he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he says, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd who had been put outside, he went back in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all that district. You know, Jesus did amazing things that were undeniable. It is a funeral in progress when Jesus raises this girl from the dead. You know, um, it's amazing. People are amazed, and they're telling everybody there's no doubt about the miracles that Jesus did. You know, um, they're, they're, you know, I think about that with so many claimed faith healers. We have hospitals full of people. Um, those claimed faith healers, where are they in this COVID-19 thing? Uh, they could be walking into different areas and just healing people, and they'd be getting up and walking out. And it's like, we don't see that happening. For Jesus, there was evidence everywhere of the miracles that he did. You know, uh, one of the things for us to consider in the midst of this is just the blessing that always is in the midst of trials. Like, think about this. If this man's daughter was not dead, if she hadn't died, he would not have had an opportunity to experience the comfort and love and power of Jesus. If this woman had not been suffering for 12 years, she would not have ex experienced G the restoration of Jesus, which blessed them physically, but far more important, blessed them spiritually. So I just have a question for you. Do you have any tremendous pain in your life? Do you have needs that you just feel like these needs cannot be met. I am without hope. There is no one who can resolve these things, who can help. I've, I'm struggling with, it could be things that you see in your kids' lives, relationships, that you just say for years these things have never been restored and I don't see any hope. Do you see things in your life, things that you care about, and there's just no human way they could get better? You know, I was thinking about how, you know, for all of us, that is the perfect place for us to be. When there's no one to hope in but God himself. And one of the things that I love about that is that God loves people who are desperate, who have no hope, but who trust him. That's the, some of the things that are the most uh, stressful for me personally, I just love that. I love taking a step back and just saying, this is something that's out of my control. This is something I cannot resolve. And it just fills me with peace to take a step back and say, but I know that I can trust God. Things may not always happen the way I want them to happen, but I can trust God for my future. My job is to be faithful, to seek his kingdom, and all these other things Jesus is to care for. It's amazing. So that's our, our first point. Here's the second one that the spiritual realm is far more significant than the physical. 
You know, people do need healing. People who are blind, it would be great if they could see. People who are struggling in this world, that would be an incredible blessing for those issues to be resolved. But physical blindness is so much less significant than spiritual blindness. Um, Matthew 9, verse 27 It says, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, here's the amazing thing. These are blind men, and they're coming to Jesus, and they're asking for mercy. They realize they need God's mercy. It's interesting. They don't show up with an angry attitude. They're not saying, Jesus, this isn't right. Why am I blind and other people can see? Like they don't show up angry before Jesus. They show up and they say, Jesus, we need mercy. But they recognize who he is. They call him son of David. In other words, they recognize that he is the Messiah. They probably heard all the details that we talked about that have been communicated in Matthew. They've seen these powerful things that he's doing, and they realize this is Jesus. He is the Messiah, the one who's been promised. And they show up, and they know that, even though they are physically blind. They're not spiritually blind. Before we end this morning, we're going to run across some people who can see from a physical perspective, they see fine, but they're spiritually blind. So Jesus says to them, verse 28, so he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, do you believe? This entire passage is about faith, confidence, recognizing who Jesus is and trusting him. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. And and this is always amazing to me. They're so overjoyed, so overwhelmed that it says in verse 31, but they went away and spread his fame throughout the land. Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody, but they go tell everyone. It's amazing just what we see here that, that these people, they're physically blind and Jesus restores their sight. You know, one of the comments that uh, Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, talking about the Pharisees, He said, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. You know, it's interesting, this contrast in the whole gospel of Matthew between physical blindness and spiritual blindness. And sometimes we could look at a blind person, somebody who's physically blind and say, oh, and our heart might go out to them and we could feel like they're really struggling. But the reality is the people in real trouble are the people who are spiritually blind Let's look at number three. The third thing that we see here is that faith is is both an intellectual and a moral choice. Uh, Look at verse 32. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute 
was brought to him. So here's a man who's possessed by a demon, and because of that, he cannot speak. And so he's oppressed by a demon, and when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Now this is one of the amazing things that I see in this story, is that in this, there is no mention of faith. I mean, obviously, there is faith on the part of the friends who bring this man to Jesus because they grabbed him and they brought him to Jesus. They must have believed that Jesus can help. And actually, nothing's even said about the people who brought this man to Jesus. It just says that he was brought, meaning that someone brought him. You know, I think about that. Um, This man has no faith. And that's one of the things is that faith in Jesus is important, but Jesus' healing is never limited by the faith of the person being healed. God does respond to faith. He does love people. It is a blessing when a person puts their faith in Jesus, but Jesus is by no means limited by the faith of the person. In fact, there are many times in the Gospels that Jesus will heal people. In fact, one time he, he healed this blind man, and after he heals him, he goes and finds him, and he's having a conversation with him, and he says, you know, do you, believe in, do you believe in the person who healed you? And he's just like, I don't even know who he is. Where is he? Tell me where he is so I can believe in him. And Jesus says, no, actually, you're looking at him. And there we see that the faith followed the healing. In this case, no mention of faith. Jesus just reaches into this man's life, and he changes his life. He casts out the demon. You know, I also think it's interesting, too, that there's people who bring this man to Jesus. They're not even mentioned. And I think about in our ministry, we have a desire to reach people, to bring them to Christ, to lead them to the one who can resolve their most significant need, their spiritual needs. But, you know, we don't need any credit. Um, This is something that God does. And these people in this story, they're not even mentioned. You know, what's significant here is it is not the strength of the faith that counts. And I'm going to go back to a slide um, previously. It is not the strength of the faith that counts. What counts is who the faith is in. And in this case, no mention of faith. And yet, because it's Jesus, there is healing. That is amazing. You know, um, this, this emphasis on faith is significant Jesus talking to his disciples when they, when they struggled, uh, they couldn't cast out a demon, and they say, Jesus, why? And this is what Jesus says. He said, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Isn't that incredible? Jesus doesn't say you have to have great faith. He looked at that centurion and he said, you have great faith. And then the man that came that didn't have that level of faith, Jesus didn't say, well, your faith isn't good enough. Any amount of faith and trust, Jesus honors. You know, I think about um, ultimately um, faith is needed for spiritual restoration, for the forgiveness of sins. And that's one of the things that we need to recognize is faith is a miracle. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Um, I think about Luke chapter 16, verse 27. Jesus tells a story of a man who is in hell. He's died and he's, he's, in, he's in hell waiting to be cast into the lake of fire. And he has a conversation with Abraham. And one of the things that he says is, he says, please send someone back to warn my family members. He says, I have five brothers. Please send someone back. Luke 16, verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. He's asking that Lazarus, who's in, in the, the Abraham's bosom, he's in, he, he's with, he, he's in heaven, not, not the ultimate heaven, but he's saying, please send him back to warn my brothers. Verse 28, For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. You know, Moses and the prophets, that's just saying they have the Bible, they have God's word, let them listen to them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophet." Neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. You know, Jesus has been doing these amazing miracles. And look at the response of the religious leaders. We see it in verse 34. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. They cannot deny what Jesus has done but they attribute his works to Satan. That is a moral corruption. It is, it is a, a, a total denial, an unwillingness to see who Jesus is despite the evidence. You know, Romans 1, 18 through 21 tells us that. The Bible tells us that God has revealed himself to everyone, but people suppress that truth. They refuse to look at the evidence in creation they refuse to believe in the God they know. One of the things with faith is faith is important. Faith in the right object is important. But that faith happens when God works in a person's heart. And the answer given in chapter Luke, how do we communicate faith? How do we develop faith in our own life? And it's interesting because when Jesus calls people to make disciples, he says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. You know, God's word, studying God's word, reading God's word, believing God's word is what increases and builds faith in our life. It's the tool that God uses to give us faith. And it's, it's the main thing in our ministry toward others. We love people. We care about people. We introduce people to the Jesus that we know, but we do that through scripture. And then um, Matthew, this section just ends, and I want to just read this passage. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, as we look around at our culture, as we think about our church, we need to pray 
that God will reach people, that God will raise up workers to love, to minister to, to share the gospel. And one of the key things in that is, is we can't just think about what other people need. We start by saying, God, who are you in my life? Do I see you for who you are? Do I love you? Am I committed to you? Am I willing to sacrifice anything to follow you? And do I experience your love? Do I know how to think about things, to look at things? Can I recognize your love and care in my life when it shows up? You know, one of the things that I just want to encourage us with a few things is that Jesus is the one that we should trust. Jesus loves you. That's one of the things demonstrated in his life on this earth. He had compassion. He loved people. He cared for people. And Jesus can and will help. Uh, my encouragement for all of us is that we're Jesus's hands and feet. Do we personally trust Jesus? Do we see him as our only treasure, our only hope? And if we do, uh, not only will that get us through life, but it will prepare us to encourage and welcome others into that same relationship with Christ. I want to just point you back to your own life. Think about your circumstances. Are you desperate? Are you in need? Are there things that you're worried about? Trust Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He can help and he will help. Let's introduce people to that Jesus. You know, we're going to turn right now to the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate and remember why we have such great riches in Christ. You know, um, Jesus um, is the reason that we're saved. You know, we're not saved because our righteousness is so powerful or because we have such powerful faith. We are saved because of the righteousness of Jesus. And we're saved not because of our great faith, but because of who we have faith in. Jesus, he's our greatest treasure. No matter what we don't have, if we have Jesus, we have enough. And if we don't have Jesus, no matter how much we have, we don't have enough. I want to just close by reading um, Philippians chapter 3 and then 1 Corinthians, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Philippians 3.8 says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so um, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I would just challenge you, uh, think about your life. Think about ways that you failed, uh, ways that you have failed to trust God. Think about those things. Confess those to Jesus. If you're struggling with sin in your life, confess that right now. Um, tell God you're sorry. Ask, ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to empower you to avoid that sin. And just rest in the comfort that we are not trying to be good enough to earn God's favor. God loves us and He forgives us because of what Jesus did. And that is what we celebrate 
when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, if, you have your, if you have your cups that we delivered or you have your grape juice, um, I would just encourage you to do that. Remember when we eat the bread, look what it says here in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. From For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you just open the, the top of your, your cup, there's some bread in the top. And as we eat this bread, um, this represents the body of Jesus. And we do this to remember what he has done for us. Let's eat together. Verse 25 says this, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What an incredible reminder that Jesus loved us. He came for us. He died for us but he still loves us and he's coming back for us. Let's drink and remember that Jesus shed his blood for us. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness. Lord, thank you for the miracles that you did that prove who you are. Lord, thank you for the things that you showed us about how much you love people. Lord, how you are not demanding. Uh, Lord, you require everything, but in the midst of our weakness and our failure, you never give up on us. Lord, we pray for strength. God, thank you for dying for us, that we look forward to your return. In your name, amen.